Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Let's get into the Word, shall we? I want you to turn with me to the book of Mark, and uh, Mark, if you're Australian, the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. I'll get to that in a minute. But if you're looking for a title of the message, it's the other side of the lake. <laughs> Where's Kathy? Oh my gosh. You guys, are, you guys keep prophesying my messages before I actually ever get up here. And uh, this has so much to do with what I'm, your word has so much to do with what God wants to do here today. Let me give you a little background on the story before we move into it. Jesus... Um, you know, he was born in Bethlehem, but most of his, his earthly ministry, he goes and he, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. That's why he's called the Baptist, because he baptizes people, and is led into the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. Side note, Jesus gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit leads him to a place of temptation. He didn't lead him to a place of prosperity. He didn't lead him to a place of incredible blessing. He didn't lead him to a better job and better salary and better marriage. He led him to the desert to not eat food and be tempted by the devil. Side note, another message. I just thought that was interesting. Some of the places that we anticipate God's going to lead us to maybe aren't quite what he leads us to. And we think God's wrong. We think we're wrong. Because why is it, why did all hell break loose? Because maybe God last night led some guys into a desert to be tempted by the devil to show that what's in you is greater than what's coming at you. So Jesus then begins his ministry in a region called Galilee. And it kind of consisted of these three cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum known as the Evangelical Triangle. That's a great name, isn't it? Evangelical Triangle. But it was this sort of pocket of the, of the northwestern part of the Sea of Galilee where he kept going from town to town. And Jesus is performing miracles. He's uh, teaching the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably in Chorazin, was, was in part of this uh, area that he was preaching in, the Evangelical Triangle. And this, this ministry, man, it was working. It was clicking. Like the crowds were coming. If you were to plant a church, this is what you want. You, you want miracles happening in your church. People are coming out. People are starting to support the ministry. He's got everything, and it's growing like crazy. He is, like, just, it's success. If you are to put the scoreboard of what starting a ministry looks like and having success, Galilee would be it. In fact, he starts preaching by the seashore, and it looks like this. That's actually the seashore um, of Capernaum along the Sea of Galilee. And if you, if you look at some Bible history, it was kind of just after wintertime when the spring flowers started to come up. It was not only incredibly spiritually, but it was beautiful. The flowers were coming out. The grass was green. And when he feeds 5,000 people, it said they all sat down on the grass because there was actually grass in this place. It was this beautiful place. And man, the ministry was kicking. It was going well. Everything was doing great. He got these 12 disciples, and there was a little bit of obstacles, and every now and then he'd drop a hint like, hey, by the way, I'm going to die, and uh, things will get worse. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, that's great. 
but you just fed 5,000 people and the crowds are coming, so I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus, you're talking about all this negative stuff, but can you see all the people that are here right now? Can you see how well this is going? Can we start a TV ministry now? Can we get, you know what I mean? And the disciples are like, this is awesome. He even goes down to this lake and just on the way, on the way to the lake, he heals this man of leprosy. Nobody had ever heard of someone being healed of leprosy before. In fact, lepers were so, um, they were so afraid of lepers that they had to go outside the city. Usually when you touch leprosy, you, a leper, you get leprosy. But when Jesus touched the leper, not only did he not get leprosy, the other person got healed. It's like this reversal that happened with him. And then the leprous man goes down to the lake and bathes and he joins the, the crew. It's amazing. People gathered from all over. This area was kind of known today as the Bay of Parables. If you go to Israel right now, you can visit some of these very places where Jesus likely was, was giving some of these messages and these sermons and telling these parables. So it's called the Bay of Parables. Things are going great until Jesus decides at the height of the ministry success that he's having, he decides to go to the other side of the lake. Now, if you grew up in Hampton Roads or have lived here for a while, do you notice how Hampton and Newport News is like another whole country? Like you just don't go to the other side. I mean, you go, but it's because you're on your way somewhere else. But I drive through Hampton and I'm like, I don't know where anything is in Hampton. I got a friend that pastors a church in Hampton and he's like, hey, you ought to come over sometime. I'm like, over the water? It'll take me three days to get there. For some reason, we have this mental block about crossing water. I don't know what it is. If you grew up in New York, how many of you know New York City, Manhattan, and Jersey are two totally different places? Like, it's just weird. You just, I don't know what it is. Well, the people that are on the Bay of Parables, they don't go to the other side of the lake. The other side of the lake is a region called the Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities. It's a region of 10 cities. And it was originally made up of the Canaanites. Anybody remember the Canaanites? When God gave the, the Hebrews the promised land, the Canaanites, what happened to them? They got booted out because they weren't supposed to be there. And they got driven out of the Holy Land and they ended up in this area, the other side of the lake, known as a region called the Decapolis. Made up of a pagan people that did not worship God. They actually worshiped idols, and they brought all of their idol worship and all of their paganness over to this area with them. So most of the people that lived in Galilee, they did not go to the other side of the lake. They stayed on that. Would you? I mean, would you leave those flowers and that green grass to go to a dark, brooding, rocky, barren other? Of course you wouldn't. Stay where you're having success. Don't leave the place where you are to go to a place of uncertainty where you're not even welcome. In fact, this area in about 63 B.C., Pompeii, came and took over from the Canaanites and brought all of the uh, Roman religions with him as well, too. And although he let them keep some of their pagan traditions, all he did was swap their idols for idols of the emperor and the Roman gods. But they still maintained this area as one that was not friendly to God or friendly to the kingdom. This whole area was marked. It was known as a place spiritually ruled by demonic principalities. Ruled 
by demonic principalities. That's what's on the other side of the lake. An unwelcome land with a long history of demonic oppression. And Jesus goes, I'm leaving the place of comfort to go to a land ruled by demonic oppression. I don't know about you, but you ever get to a place maybe in your career and you've had some success in your career and you're like, you know what? I'm just making plans to settle down and retire, get my kids settled, my grandkids settled, move to Florida or Texas or South Dakota. I have never in my life wanted to move to Texas till last week. I'm working on my twang a little bit. I don't know, Texas is sounding pretty good right now. And you're like, I just want to sail off into the sunset, and yet there's something that stirs in you. And God goes, I'm not ready to settle yet. And I've got something more for you. And sometimes you even get a picture painted for you of what that settling looks like, and it looks great. It's the retirement package. It's the, the, the place, the, 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 the church you've always gone to, the way that you've always connected with God, the way that you pray, the way that you worship. And he goes, Man, I could just do this and just chill here. And God goes, no, there's more. And there's another side to this lake. And that's where Jesus wants to go. He leaves the thriving, comfortable ministry of Galilee to go someplace that didn't even ask him to come. And on the way there, so he tells his disciples, they're like, Jesus, great. He's like, yep, get in the boat. All right, that's cool. Because there were so many people in this Bay of Parables, he actually had to get in a boat to push out a little bit from shore. And it created like this natural amphitheater around this bay. And his voice could carry over the water. And there were potentially thousands of people. Well, we know there were at least 5,000 people because they all got fed. And he just designed this whole place that they could, he didn't need a microphone. He didn't, his sound guy was a fisherman in a boat that pushed him out. And he goes, all right, y'all get in the boat too. And they're like, cool. What's the next sermon? What's the next message? When do we get to take an offering? He goes, nope. Let's go to the other side. And I can imagine the confusion on the disciples' face. Oh, okay. Has nobody told Jesus what's on the other side? And he begins to move, and Jesus is tired from a long day of ministry. So he does what most ministers do on a Sunday afternoon after church. Lays down on the back of the boat, puts some golf on TV, and he starts to take a nap. He falls asleep. During his nap, there's a major storm that brews. It's, it's so bad that these seasoned fishermen in the boat who have been through storm after storm after storm, they're scared to death. Now, if you've been a fisherman that grew up on the Sea of Galilee and been through a couple storms, this has got to be some storm for these disciples to be scared to the point of death. But this was no ordinary storm. This storm was being driven by what was on the other side of the lake. This is all hell breaking loose. Driven by the powers of darkness, this storm put fear into these seasoned fishermen. It was no ordinary storm. Hell rose up to fight against the enemy of theirs and the threat to their authority. And Jesus is asleep. 
I love that. I think somebody had a t-shirt the other day, I want to be more like Jesus taking naps in boats. That's awesome. He's asleep. So his disciples wake him up. Aren't you even afraid? You ever have people that are so scared and they're so mad at you because you're not scared? It's like, how does both of us being scared help the situation? At least one of us should probably not be scared to help find some answers. Jesus, why are you not scared like us? What's wrong with you? (laughs) And Jesus goes, me? Where's your faith? Do you still have no faith? And so Jesus gets up, takes the crust out of his eyes, speaks to the storm, rebuke it, and instantly the storm goes away. And the disciples go, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus wins round one. So we're going to pick up the story after this storm. Because when he arrives at the shore of this pagan territory that's ruled by demonic oppression, he's immediately greeted by a man so riddled with demons that no one can contain him. That's why your word is so great. He is the man in that prison. And this is what happens when this man comes running to meet Jesus at the seashore. Verse 1 of Mark chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, And in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Interesting. Wonder what he was crying for. Hmm. Do you hear the cry from the tombs anymore? When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. That's interesting. Why pigs, right? It's one of the reasons why you know this is a pagan region. The Jews on the other side weren't exactly raising pigs. But those Canaanites that we talked about before, they had a long history of sacrificing pigs to their idols. And when Pompey came in, he came in with the Roman legions is how he took over the area. And the most famous Roman legion of the time, their emblem on their shields was a wild boar. That pig had become a representation of sacrifice to idols and the oppression of an occupying enemy. Demons had a long association with pigs up until this point. They had a right to be there Because what had been brought into the region through idol worship and oppression, the demons had a right 
to be there. They had authority. They were granted access to the region through idol worship and through the oppression of an enemy. I want you to hear that. When we give ourselves over to idols, we give demons permission to enter and to stay. And I know you may thinking, well, I'm not sacrificing the pigs. Although, man, if you've had some of Sal's barbecue, my goodness. <laughs> if there was a sacrifice worth, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> this is not a message about not eating pork, okay? Don't get this askew. You may not be sacrificing the pigs, but can I tell you that any source you turn to instead of God is an idol. When things get hard, when things get tough, what's the very first thing you turn to? Is it the bottle? Is it the computer? Is it Facebook? Is it your spouse? I got to be careful as a husband that I don't go to things with Romy that I should have gone to God with first. Because it does two things. It makes an idol of her, and it also puts pressure on her to be God for me, and that's too much pressure for anyone to bear. What do you go to first when tough times hit? If it's not God, it's an idol. And idols make really good firewood. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They saw a man who had been delivered from thousands of demons, and that's what they were afraid of. Why would people be afraid when they see someone who got delivered from demons? Wouldn't you celebrate that? Wouldn't that be the moment to go, I want to be free too. Can you do it for me? But they were afraid of seeing someone living in freedom. You know when the man with legion comes running to the seashore and he's like, what do you want to have to do with me, son of man? You do understand those aren't the man's words. Those are legion's words. Sometimes in ministry, you got to realize that the voice you're hearing from people is not their voice. It's the voice of legion. you got to know the difference. And ministry is always ministry to people, not against demons. So he's hearing the voice of legion. But then he drives legion out of this man and he's set free. So let me encourage you that what was afraid of the freedom was not the people so much as the spirit that was still living in them. At least the man with legion knew what he had. And I pray that when we see someone who's set free, if it creates fear in us, we realize it's not us who's afraid, it's something in us that's afraid that's about to get an eviction notice. But they were afraid. But listen how they responded. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. 
As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. I would too. Who wants to go back to that town, right? Jesus did not let, think about this. Well, uh, sorry. My brain. Jesus did not let him. He's begging Jesus. Jesus says no. But he says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You know, sometimes Jesus would heal people and he says, don't tell a soul. But this man, he goes, you can't come with me. Go back to your hometown and tell everybody what I've done for you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Here's what I want you to hear. Jesus calms a storm to get there. He wins round one. He frees a man from potentially thousands of demons. Something in this man longed to be free. He's crying out from the tombs. I would guess that he's not just crying out, and yelling at people, he's crying out to be free. Because it's not just thousands of demons, there's a human being. There's a man bound up. And so many people look at the man in the tombs, and they're trying to figure out how he got all these demons. And Jesus goes, it doesn't matter. The question is not how he got there. The question is, how can he get free? And he's crying out. When Jesus shows up on the seashore, he runs from the tombs to the seashore because he knows Jesus just showed up at the seashore. If I can just, it's not a plug for our church name, by the way. If I can just get down to the seashore, I can, maybe, maybe I can get set free. And he rushes to the seashore and he's set free. I could have started a deliverance ministry like the world had never seen before. And you know Jesus could, and he would have set so many more free. So that it's not just a person that gets free, but the whole demonic stronghold could have gone. But instead, they drive him away. They drive him away. They see a man living in freedom, and they go, I'm afraid to live like that. It wasn't the people that didn't want Jesus. It's the Spirit driving the people. Sometimes it's good to know what Spirit's driving you. Well, what's it driving you towards? Is your Spirit driving Jesus away? <laughs> then maybe it's not the right Spirit. But that man wanted to be free. The people of the town feared freedom more than they feared legion. You know why? <laughs> well, legion we can manage. We got chains for legion until the chains don't work anymore. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got some stuff, but I got anger issues, but I can keep it under control, which means nobody else gets to see it except my wife and kids. Yeah, I drink a bit. I get drunk, but it's just in my own house. That's okay, right? I'm not driving. You can manage legion. We can keep legion in the tombs. It, as long as, no, as long as nobody goes in the tombs, as long as you don't come over my house past 9 o'clock, everything will be fine. 
Legion is his problem, not mine. You got demons? You got to deal with that yourself. I'm good. And we learn to manage Legion until we can't. And these people, fearful of freedom and the loss of income it would have likely provided, because that deliverance cost them a whole herd of pigs. Their 401k, their income for next week, it cost them something. It really cost them something. But rather than be free and pay a price, they drove away the one who could set them free. And Jesus submits to their human will to not pursue freedom. Jesus goes, okay, I'm not going to force myself upon you. If this is what you want, this is what you'll get. If you want freedom, it's going to cost you. I can't sit here and say it won't cost you. It will cost you. Jesus will do it, but you've got to be prepared for the cost. They were not, and so Jesus leaves. The expeller gets expelled. He kicks demons out. They kick him out. Doesn't make sense to me. Jesus, who conquered the storm, drove out the demons, yields to the free will of human beings. Probably the saddest part of this story. Can I encourage you? A couple weeks ago, I said to let go with a banana. You have to catch that on YouTube. Shameless plug for our YouTube channel. Seashore Church message of the week. Well, let go of the pigs. What are you doing around pigs anyway? Why are you raising pigs? Yeah, you lost a herd of pigs. But you gained your freedom. Let the pigs go. Stop chasing them. Because if you chase those pigs, you're going to end up over the cliff in the lake yourself. Let them go. There's more coming. There's better coming. God has more. More than you could ever ask, hope, or imagine according to the power that's at work within you. Not according to what other people do for you. Not according to all of your education and experience. It's the power that's in you is what's going to determine what comes to you. So stop chasing pigs that are running off a cliff. Let go of the pigs. <laughs> I've got a friend of mine recently. This guy, is, he's not in our church, but he's in massive revival. He's had some, some difficult life circumstances, and God has got a hold of this guy. And he's posting videos on Instagram where he's got his whole bar. He's got a whole bar in his house, and he's just pouring bottles of very expensive liquor, uh, so I'm told, bottles of very expensive liquor down the drain, and he's posting it on Instagram. And all of our other friends who are not saved are like, you're an idiot, you're crazy, bring it to my house. And he's like, if you can get here quicker than I can pour it down the drain, you can have it. And he's just pouring it all down the drain, and he's celebrating. He goes, I'm free. I'm free. He's pouring his pigs down the drain, man. That's just his thing. That's his pig. I don't know what your pig is. I know what my pigs are. But I'd encourage you, let go of the pigs. Jesus wins round one in the storm. Jesus wins round two in the man with legion. But he loses round three when the people push him away. Or did he? Did he? 
Matthew 13, 33 says, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Sometimes you end up in a place where Jesus does something that doesn't look very significant. It doesn't look like a win. With our scoreboard, we would see this as a loss. Jesus took an L, got his butt kicked, went back over to the other side of the lake. But Jesus knew that a little bit of yeast had just been placed in the dough of this pagan region. The yeast of the kingdom had been placed and it was about to be worked through the whole dough. That same man that got set free, do you know why Jesus said, don't come with me? Because Jesus just didn't have this man in mind. Jesus had the whole region in mind. And Jesus himself didn't need to travel through all of the Decapolis. All he needed to do was set someone free and put a little bit of yeast and then put that yeast into the whole batch of dough. Go back to your hometown. Go throughout the Decapolis and tell them of the grace that you have received. The empowerment that you have that drove out the powers of darkness and filled you full of light. And this man goes, one free person leads a revival in ten cities. He leads them back to God. Then Jesus goes back to the friendly side of the lake. Job done. The disciples are like, I don't know what that was about. I guess we'll figure it out later. He goes over and he feeds 5,000 people soon after this. You know that story? They take five loaves and two fish, and he breaks the loaves. So now instead of five loaves, how many do you get? It's a math question. I'm sorry. It's early. All the men are like, you kept us up long past our bedtime. So now you got 10 loaves and two fish, right? How many total pieces of things do you have? 12, right? How many disciples are there? 12. How many tribes of Israel are there? And they're fed with 12. All 12 disciples got to be a part of a miracle. And how many basketfuls are left over? 12. Jesus is saying, I have enough food for all of the tribes of Israel. I am the food, and there's more coming. There's more left over. But then he does something again. He goes, hey guys, let's go back over the other side of the lake again. And you can see the disciples. They're like, you know what, this didn't go over so well last time. And you can see them trying to psych themselves up for it. You ever go in the process of you know you got to do something hard, but you don't want to do it, but you know you got to do it, it's on your calendar, and you're like, you're trying to psych yourself up. That's what I'm picturing these guys are like. It's like, oh, we're going to leave this good place again. I mean, you just fed 5,000 people. This is the time to kick the ministry off. Come on. There's going to be more people next week when they hear about this. He goes, let's go back over to that other unfriendly place again. And I just, Jesus knows what's coming, but the disciples don't. He shows up to the other side of the lake. And guess what happens? Same guy shows up. Except he doesn't have legion anymore. And you know what else? He brought 4,000 of his friends. 4,000 men, which means more women and children, show up on the same part of the seashore. Where did they come from? Well, the only way they would have found out, because Jesus wasn't doing ministry there, was this man that had led this revival. I would venture to say, this man, now freed, has brought 4,000 men to the seashore to have the same thing done to them that happened to him. 
And Jesus shows up and he starts preaching. And guess what these 4,000 people forgot to do? It was so good. It was, I know that you guys are like this too. Church is so good. I'm not even thinking about lunch right now. (laughs) Whatever you do, don't think about food right now. Don't think about food. I lost the fear at the barbecue comment. He's he's already there. (laughs) They forgot to bring their lunch. They forgot to bring food. And now they're nowhere near any place they can buy food. And they're like, oh no. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, do the food, do the the fish and the the bread thing again. Can you do it again? Can you do it again? Oh, this is going to be great. And Jesus goes, all right, bring me what you got. And they bring something interesting. They bring him, anybody know this? Seven loaves. And Jesus does the same thing. He gives thanks, gives them to the disciples, and he distributes them to all the people. And guess how many basketfuls are left over at the end of this? Seven. Do you know that when God gave them the promised land and told them to drive everybody out, guess how many people groups were in the promised land when they showed up? You know all the Ites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites? There were seven displaced people groups from the promised land that had been driven out. Now I promise you, they would not have felt welcomed into this Jesus thing that was going on. But when Jesus performs this miracle and there's seven basketfuls left over, it's his way of saying, this thing that's happening on the other side of the lake, it's for you. I've not just come for the lost of Israel. I've come for the world. I've come for those who have been driven out. I've come for those who are bound up in addiction and bound up in sin, bound up in demonic oppression, full of idol worship. I've come for you both. And he does his Jesus thing again, and they get a miracle. Where's Jesus called you to go? I I think these Sundays, these Saturday nights, this is kind of our bay of parables. It's great. I love the kids. I love the worship. Man, I love the presence of God. It's a good place. It's safe. It's warm. It's full of beauty. It's full of miracles. But it's time to go to the other side of the lake. We can't just stay here and ask people to come to our side of the lake. It's time to go to the other side. It's time to shine light in dark places. In John chapter 1, it says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What if your comfort was the greatest obstacle to your miracle? I love the Bay of Parables. I love sitting over here. But what if that's the biggest enemy to my greatest calling? Jesus leaves the comfort of a successful ministry to go to an unwelcome place. And can I tell you, the scoreboard of Galilee does not work in the Decapolis. The scoreboard that says people, money, miracles, fame, it doesn't work here. Because you show up to a dark, dry place and you get one. It doesn't work. So you've got to change your scoreboard. Did I hear God? And did I do what He said? Because when you do that, you may just see one decision. You may see one salvation. You may plant one church. But the yeast has been placed 
in the dough. Get in the boat. Go to dark places. Take some friends with you. Stay with Jesus in the boat and speak to your own storm. When Jesus shows up on your shore, run to the seashore. Don't stay in the tombs. Run to the place where Jesus is. Run and get set free. Run and get set free. And let the pigs go. Don't expel the expeller. Don't drive him away when you get set free. Let this yeast of the kingdom get placed in you and watch it grow. Bring those cities to the deliverer. Like Isaiah 61 says, they will return to the places long devastated. They will renew cities and they will disciple nations. Lord, I pray. I pray, Lord, that you would show us the other side of the lake. I thank you that you're in the boat with us as we go. And we get to take people along for the journey. And there's not enough room in my boat. We'll get some more boats. But we're going to the place. It's your scoreboard that we're following, God. That's the one we're looking to. Wherever your spirit leads is where we'll go. I'm praying that you take me to dark places because I've got a light in me that needs shining. It's your life in me that's shining. So Lord, help us to see where that other side of the lake is. Maybe it's just the other side of the road from where we live. It's just the neighbor. Maybe it's the other cubicle next to us. But God, let us go because people are going to be set free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.